Put your hand together, Patricia. Well, it's really great to be back with you. I can't remember when it was, when I was here, but not that long ago. And uh, I don't know if anyone's here from Inamara Christian School. It was advertised in school, I think. Maybe. Too shy to put their hands up, whatever. Anyway, so it's a real pleasure. So what we're going to do today is talk about sex, gender, and identity. There has never been a time when I think we as a church need to be aware of this. So what I'm planning to do is really give you it's a very condensed version. It's also very content-rich, so which is why I'm happy for you to get the slides. Don't try to copy anything because it gets it will get quite difficult if you try to copy things down from the slides. They were quite busy slides. So let's just start off with the discussion. And so the first thing we want to talk about, really, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because you are obviously a Bible-taught church and you don't need to spend time on this, but basically to understand that the Bible gives us an overarching narrative on gender and identity. We are people made in the image of God, and therefore this gives us a basis that when we talk of people who are, have any gender concern, we must, this is our foundation. It's not about us and them. We are all people made with the thumbprint of the Creator on us. We are embodied, Psalm 139, Corinthians 6. We are embodied and our bodies are created good, even in our fallen state. And this gives meaning to our life because we find an identity in Christ. We are clearly binary, male and female, he created them. And the consistent gender binary analogy that goes right through the Bible from Genesis to Matthew 19, and Jesus points back, even when he was asked about divorce, right to revelation of Christ and his bride. And so we look at this harmony and peace when male and female come together, that complementary gender differences drawn together in marriage, the real unity of diversity. And here we say marriage is unity, it is procreative, of course it is recreative, I am a sexologist. And above all, it is a typology of Christ and his church. So that's just a quick Bible story there. But what do we see in science? Now, when you look at the gender identity area, we think of four basic areas. Now, it's like four ingredients that you put together to make, say, let's say, make a cake. There are four ingredients, but they're all mixed in four via. So what are these four main aspects? There's biological sex, which is what my biology is. It's like what you saw in the mirror this morning when you stepped out of the shower and the full-length mirror showed you who you were. That's your biology. Your gender expression is kind of what you're doing now, how you dress, how you speak, how you say. How do you express to the world who you are? 
Your gender identity is what does my brain say I am? What's my feeling of who I am? And my orientation is who am I attracted to? Now, like I said, it's like these are blended and beaten up together, and that's your sex, gender, and identity. Now, when these are congruent, when they all fit in beautifully together, as you can see there, the female is her biology is female. She sees herself as a female, think Eve. She acts like a female, and she's attracted to the male. And similarly in the male. And in coming together in everyday life, move away from the Bible, just in everyday life, we see peace and harmony when these two different complementary come together. However, what happens in our culture today, a culture of trans-orthodoxy and gender ideology of LGBTQIA++++ terms and SOGI, which I like to call SOGI, what do we see? Uh, LGBTQIA, of course all of you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, transgender and everything else and intersex and asexual. And if you don't know what all those are, just ask some of the young ones sitting at the back and they'll tell you. And uh, SOGI, which is a kind of a term that's now being used, sorry, sexual orientation and gender identification. So what are we seeing? Now we need to understand this. It is like out of this cake, the four ingredients have been blasted out separately. So we can see here that Biological sex or birth sex is no longer biology. It is an assigned sex. It's as if the nurse, the midwife or the doctor picked up the baby and said, hmm, a baby. Well, what shall we call this one? Well, we've had lots of girls, so maybe we'll assign it a boy. That's the kind of thinking. Your biology, we are told, is not Destiny. Children are being told in primary school, you are not what your body is. You can choose whoever you want to be. Right now, I believe it's in Canada, there's a case going on where a child was so traumatized by this, being told that you are not what you're between your legs, but whatever your brain, and she was so worried that she thought she was a girl, that she went home and she told her parents, please take me to the doctor, I need to find out whether I am a girl. And they are actually suing the school for confusing this child. So this is what we are facing. Our children being told, you are not what you are born, you can decide what you want to be. But for us, we must understand that this is creation, this is biology. Now, Expression, gender expression, how we behave, this too, this is now fluid. You can be anything you want to be. You can be the word androgynous, andro is male, gynae is female. You can be something in between. And today you can be gender non-conforming, tomorrow you could be a cross-dresser, or you can just be gender bending. And then when it comes to gender identity, and I'll pull each of these out separately so we can understand them more, you can choose whatever your identity. You can be bi-gender, non-binary, queer, two-spirit, intergender, and everything and many things other. 
and then you can be in orientation, you can be lesbian, gay, bisexual, fluid, pansexual, asexual, anything. Asexual basically means somebody who has no sexual interest for anyone at all. So, then you can basically mix and match from any of these three as to what you want to be. So, you, can you, I just want you to stop here and think. This quarter, the, the biological bit, is your created being. The other three quadrants are brain activity. You get that? It's like how you want to behave. It's what you think you are. It's who you are interested to, interested in. Okay? So that's biology, and these three are in your brain. Now, most of us grew up thinking, you know, we kind of look in the mirror, and what we see is who we are. No, no, no. Biology is not destiny. Now, in our culture, desire or brain feelings are what matters. Biology does not matter. So the three quadrants that are based on feelings are what must, and not might, but must drive our biology. So this is where we are now. How did we get here? Basically, I'm not going to do a big cultural uh, analysis here, but there was a time when some of us oldies can remember where tradition mattered. And even if you were not a Christian, you kind of believed that there was something somewhere that guided you and you were directed to pre-modernity. Modernity was more like let science prove it and we might believe it. Today we are in the post-modernity, post-sexual revolution, and in this state that we live in, we live in a post-truth culture, a culture that says truth actually doesn't exist, and if it does, I don't care. So it doesn't matter to me what you believe in or I believe in, because who cares? There is no truth. It is desires and feelings that drive everything. So, we live in a world, so desires drive everything. It is radical voluntarism. This is my body. I can decide what I want to be, and that will drive my behavior, and it will drive what I make my body. So, this is a desire-driven world of selfish individualism and what we call relativism, which means I can do what I want and you do what you want, as your younger one said, and you do your life, which is, a, this is our culture today. So in this culture, biology is not destiny and our desires must rule. And if anybody dares to see, say anything different, you are bigoted, you are evil, and you must be silenced. This is where we are now. And of course, in this world there is no truth, 
and we live by our desires. Can you see, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how this immediately makes us completely countercultural? In a world that says there is no truth, we say our bodies are created by God, 1 Corinthians 6, Psalm 139, and there is a truth we live by. Jesus says, if you have known my teachings, you are my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We dare to say that. We dare to say that in our fallen state, our desires are not aligned with what God wants for us. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. Matthew 15, where Jesus says, out of the heart come all these evil thoughts. Can you see how countercultural we are? Now let's step back and have a look at each of those we talked about. Forgive the genital pictures on the stay on the screen, but I think you all dance, you can take that. So, I wouldn't show you pornography, that's just anatomy. So, we need to understand this. We need a brief understanding of our created goodness. Now, medical research clearly tells us that biological sex is formed by a stepwise development in the womb. Now, this is very important that we understand. Sex is determined at conception. Observed visually before birth with all the technology we have and only at birth all we say is that this is a boy or a girl. So we can, it is determined at that moment up there when the sperm meets the ovum. If the sperm has a Y in it, you get an XY. If the sperm has an X, you get an XX. From that moment, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, every cell in your body is a sexed cell. If you scratch yourself and a few cells fall on the ground, that cell on the ground is a sexed cell. You can't get away from it. You can cut off your genitals and implant something else. You can get your breasts removed. You can implant breasts on you. It will not change your cell. You will never change it. It is a lie to say we can completely transform a male into a female. It is impossible at a cellular level. We need to be clear about this. And we need to be fearless in speaking it. Because if we don't get free speech, this could be hate speech. Because how dare you say that? And I'll come back to that in a moment. So anyway, let's say what happens here. So, if you have a Y, the XY, what happens? In a few weeks' time, inside the uterus, around four to five, six weeks, this Y chromosome directs the development of a testes, which then secretes testosterone, and 
then controls a set of tubes. Let's say this is a set of tubes. You never look at a microphone the same way. But let's say this is a set of tubes inside the baby. By about seven weeks, if testosterone acts on this, you get male genitals. Now, if there is no Y chromosome, there is a little thing called SRY, which we won't bother. If the Y is there, you get the SRY. No Y chromosome, XX, then no, then the ovary develops, no testosterone, and the same set of tubes become female genitals. One set of tubes is how it starts. If testosterone, male. If no testosterone, female. That's the process. Of course, I've simplified it. It's really quite a complex hormonal step-by-step -step determination. So why is this so important? In one in about 4,500 to 5,000 babies, this clear pattern doesn't happen. Things go wrong. We live in a world where things go wrong. We are in a fallen world where all creation groans till Jesus comes back for us. And part of this groaning is in our biology. And in one in about 5,000, this clear male-female doesn't happen. And these are called disorders of sex development. It's a disorder. Now, the rhetoric you will hear is that how can you say, and this is even Christians who are rewriting the binary, biblical binary story, to say that because there are disorders of sex development, or the common name is intersex, that must mean that even biology has a variation. So stay with me here. It's important for us to understand the difference. There's male and there's female and there's, there's developmental problems which are called disorder. A disorder is different from a variation. We have variation in hair color and hair texture even eye color, but it's not a disorder. There's a difference between a disorder and a variation. So when it comes to biology, it's male, female, or disorders. And there's a whole range of disorders. I'm happy to take questions. Now, two myths here and false things that are said we must understand. So, a disorder of sex development is not a variation between male and female. It's a disorder. Two, therefore, intersex is not a third sex. That's another myth you'll hear. There's male, female and intersex. No, no. There's male, female and disorders. The other thing we need to understand is because the same set of tubes go either male or female, it is a biological impossibility to have functional male and female genitals. What you have is what we call ambiguous genitalia. That's somewhere in between. Happy to take more questions on that. So, it's important to understand that basic biology. So, moving on, what about gender roles? How do we behave? 
So again, important for us to understand because today in the kickback against rigid gender stereotypes of this is exactly what a boy should do and this is exactly what a girl should do or be, in that kickback, starting with the feminist kind of first wave feminism, which is, I'll come back and talk how interesting this first, the feminist story has become now in the transgender ideology world, but starting with that, in a kickback and ending up now with the whole Me Too movement, we see that because there were stereotypes, the kickback means we must be fluid and therefore we must be expressing our gender any way we want. That's where androgynous comes from. Now what then is our challenge? Our challenge, I put it to you as brothers and sisters in Christ, to look to the Bible for gender roles for our children. For ourselves, the Bible is clear. And yes, of course there are stories in the Bible of strong women and gentlemen. I love King David. Look at him. I mean, that's only a picture, but look at him. He was so cute and he played the harp and he danced around in his underwear with the girls. And today he would have been a transgender boy. And I love Deborah. But more than all, I love Jael. If you don't know Jael, you've got to go read her in Judges. I mean, look, she got that guy into a tent and then sent that tent peg through his temple. I mean, that is one hot lady you don't go camping with. Definitely, you don't ask her to put up the tent anyway. So, the reality is that we have that understanding that men and women are beautifully equal before God, beautifully complementary, and yet beautifully able to live in the lives that are worthy of their calling. And my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to understand this and be fearless in speaking about it. You see, the bio, even research tells us that whereas gender roles have a lot on cultural, you know, background and family background, there is sufficient evidence to say that even the way we behave is influenced in some way by brain biology. I can a very quick story. I want to move on, but this is really a very old research, but very interesting that they took a group of preschool children, really little ones, and they put girls separate, boys separate, and they gave all the boys like Barbie dolls to play with, and they gave all the girls Tonka trucks and things to play with, and they videoed them. And they found that after a while, the girls said, mommy truck, daddy truck, baby truck. <laughs> Where the boys turned Barbie dolls one leg up, one leg down, and shot each other with it. <laughs> there is something. In our very biology, in our created goodness, God does good things in his creation. We need to be so aware of this. Our brain and our body are all God's good creation. Okay, so let's talk about gender identity. 
gender identity is who you think you are. So, well, let me just tell you about the terminology first. The word transgender is the one that is commonly used. Transgender is anyone whose gender feelings or gender of who I am, gender identity or expression is different to the cultural and social expectations that go with their biology. You with me here? It's this huge umbrella term that covers all those 70 odd terms that are in Facebook and Instagram. It's an umbrella term. Now, this is the important thing for us. Well, I've already said so many things are important, but the point is one of the things we need to remember is that not everybody who is transgender is actually distressed. A lot of transgendered people, and some of them are voluntarily, you know, it's this voluntarism that I just want to do it because I decide to do it. Whatever the reason, a lot of transgender people aren't concerned about it enough to want to change their biology to suit what they feel. You with me here? So a transgender umbrella is people who are distressed and also those who are willing to live with it. Now, gender dysphoria is a marked incongruence between what your brain thinks you are and your biology is, but sufficiently distressing that people actually want to do something to do what? So you've got a brain that tells you, I think I am this, and a body that is what you are. You know, kind of intuitively, you think, which is easier to try and work with? To change, you know, to try and work with the distress you feel, because your body you already have? Or accept that the distress you feel is the truth, and change your biology to fit that? There was a time when we would, and when I mean time, I mean up to a few years ago, when clinics would, especially with children, work on the distress and work on a, what we call a watch and wait model. But not anymore. Because we are told that three and four year olds are quite capable of thinking long and hard about their gender. Any of you who have three and four year olds or had three and four year olds, when did they last think long and hard about anything? <laughs> you see, we can't, we wouldn't let them decide that they want chocolate ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But you dare not, not affirm the fact that they want to change their gender. They can't drive, they can't get married, they can't join the army, they can't do many other things, but they can change their gender. This is what we are being told today, that the mind overrules biology. It's a complete turnaround of what we would intuitively believe. Now, it's therefore important for us to know what it is not. It is not somebody, especially a child, who likes the activities of the other sex. 
is not the little girl who says, I like to do boy things. And mommy, I like to play cars. In those days, they would have said, we would say tomboy. Or the little boy who likes to bake cakes and maybe even wear a pink tutu. I mean, you know, we would have said, oh, a bit of a sissy. And daddy would have said, oh, come on, let's go out and kick a ball together or something. It, it, it was okay. We call it gender variant or gender non-conforming behavior. And it was all right. I was a kid like that. I mean, I grew up in Sri Lanka. My brothers were out there climbing coconut trees and riding their bicycle. And I was in the kitchen doing the cooking. Like, hello, why would I want to be a girl? <laughs> I mean, you know, I liked doing what other boys were doing. Because they were my brothers and that was fun. I, it's not somebody who even likes being the other sex. I used to, I used to just cry and wail, my mom said. That, and say, I want to be a boy, I want to be a boy. So it's not even liking, it's even wanting to be a boy. Mommy, I remember, I used to say, I want to be a boy, I want to be a boy. And mom used to say, that's nice, dear, now let's come and do a make, make a cake instead. <laughs> I mean, you know. And that's amazing, because it is so important that we understand that. Because in today's rhetoric, if you, and I'm quoting here, if your son fancies playing with Barbie dolls or your daughter dislikes them, then you are the proud parent of a progressive toddler, otherwise known as a transgender child. And if you happen to be somebody who doesn't like this, then you are just an evil, bigoted person and you're not supporting your child. And this child is, and what's the story? If you don't support this child, this child is going to commit suicide. So what parents are told? What do you want? A transgender child or a dead child? And what's a parent going to choose? You see, this is the rhetoric. This is transgender ideology speaking into us. It's not a person who's attracted to someone their own sex. You see, we sort of think, oh yeah, that's a lesbian or gay, so what's your problem? That's the problem. Today, children especially who feel same-sex attracted are being encouraged to think that must mean that you actually are the other sex. And you're a hetero, so if you're a girl who's attracted to a girl, and I'll tell you how, you know, that's the stage of developing identity. If you're a girl who's attracted to a girl, then you know what? You're probably a boy. And that's why you're attracted to girls. Especially if you're a bit of a butch girl. And similarly, if you're the sweet, effeminate guy, then you know what? You already look like a girl. And you like boys. You are a girl. So, you know, so you put those thoughts into the minds of these little children, young children, pre-teens, early teens. And it is not somebody who dislikes their body. And this is something we are seeing in teenagers now. Teens, especially girls, and look, when I go to schools these days, there was a time when I first started the speaking circuit, about uh, seven years ago, where I would get into schools and I would talk about puberty and, you know, some years would go through, but most would sort of smile. 
Now, you mentioned puberty and puberty changes, and especially girls, you hate it. Hate a normal growth development, and so hate something about our children losing that love and knowledge of the beauty of God's work in their body. And so if girls get a line or boys, but often girls, and say, I don't like my breast, I don't like what's happening to me, they almost get channeled into transgender forums where they say, then you must be a boy. So let's tell you how you can get your breast binders and get uh, genital plastic penis things to stick into your underwear and how you can start transitioning. Let's even tell you how you talk to your parents so that they will feel that they have to affirm you. How you can tell them that if you don't do that, then you're going to commit suicide. This is what's happening. It's so much so that it's given a name, rapid onset gender dysphoria. We need to be so aware of this. Almost every school I visit will tell me about a teen girl who has rapid onset gender dysphoria. Okay, I'm not pressing in the right direction. Okay, so where are we now? We all know about the Israel Palau thing that's happening. I was trying to find the right word for it. The controversy, I guess, is the word for it. But what is it? Where we even got here? Where we are now is a, a small minority vocal trans lobby activists basically saying either you celebrate with us, this is cosmopolitan, she is a trans woman, and if you look at her hands you can say she's trans woman, a trans woman is a male who has transitioned into a woman. So she is a man, really, she's XY, who has had surgery and everything done, Lever and Cox. And you probably can't read it here, but it says here in smaller writing, the truth will set you free. See, this is the rhetoric we are hearing. You must celebrate. Now we think it's the Christians who are saying, no, we can't do this. This is wrong. We are actually the minority. We are standing up and saying this is not right what we are doing, especially with our children. But that's not all. Now those pictures there are all senior scientists, sexologists, researchers who have been thrown out of Twitter. Lisa Littman, who's this one here, is an American researcher who reported rapid onset gender dysphoria. And they practically had her, you know, almost thrown out of university. Her research was blocked on her own university website. Ken Zucker, who's the second from your right, uh, I met him, we also belong to, I belong to a group called the Academy of Sex Research, and I uh, met him and spent some study leave with him. Ken Zucker ran a gender clinic in Toronto from the time I was there, that's 1980. He was always already a senior scientist. 
he treated children who had gender identity concerns. How he treated them was what we call living your skin till you reach adolescence. Why? Because all the research says that 70 to 90 percent of children who say they have even all the symptoms of gender dysphoria will accept their biological gender sex, their biology, when they reach adolescence, up to 90 percent. And so he, would, he was treating with watch and wait. He didn't say don't transition the kids who remain that way. Secular scientists. But because he was saying watch and wait, they had him banned and they had the, this is a small lobby, had the hospital close his clinic because they said what he was doing is conversion therapy. This is how, and I can talk about Ray Blanchard, who's the old guy with the smiley face, another very senior scientist who writes about the area. And recently, his, all his Twitter was banned because he said that gender dysphoria is a concern similar to a mental health problem in that it is a problem in your brain. And for that, they had all his Twitter feed banned for about a few days. But that's how the lobby works. We need to be aware of this. So scientists are being silenced. And what's interesting now is the very feminists who said, oh, you know, we want all to be equal, are now really concerned. Because they have been told that any man who says he's a woman, is a woman. So women are being told, some women have a penis. Just get over it. So any man who calls himself a woman has access to women's prisons, women's refuges, of course women's toilets, women's sports teams. I'm sure you've seen the news items about women's sports. And this is what we are saying. And so the feminists now are saying, wait a minute, we didn't mean that kind of equality. So, there was a meeting recently in Liverpool where a group of women were, were talking about this issue. And they put up this billboard, a dictionary definition of woman, a noun that says adult human female. That was censored and the billboard had to be removed. Because to say that a woman is an adult human female is now hate speech. This is the world we live in. This is it. But you see why I'm saying this? It's not a Christian fight back. It is just the craziness that the world is in. And science says this is crazy what we are doing with our children. And I can send you references if you want on that. The feminists are saying, and the women are saying, look, what is happening? We are women. We can't have, I mean, lesbians are told that you must have sex with anyone who says they are a woman, even if they have a penis. You know, if they're a lesbian, you have sex with a woman. I'd love if she has a penis. So, it's something that involves not just 
So let's talk about sexual orientation. We might think sexual orientation is quite easy for us to understand, but even that is quite complex. And for us as Christians, we need to get this quite clearly here. And that is that it is not, well, let me say what it is. There are at least three aspects we have to think. Sexual orientation or sexual attraction is a desire. Even if you go back right to the beginning, right? It's a desire. We don't live by our desires. But today, in a desire-driven world of post-truth, if I desire anything, it is my right to have it. And nobody can say that I can't have it. Now, I have got into trouble with the university for daring to tell Christian young people who came to a talk with the Bible Society Masterclass that even if you feel sexual attraction, and it could be an innate characteristic for some people, you just feel that way, you make a choice as to how you live your life, the behavior, so that you may feel the desire, but behavior is a choice. Any behavior is a choice. I got pulled up by the dean of university for daring to say that. That just, how can I say, tell young people that they can't have the sex they desire? Like, I tell all young people that sex is for one man, one woman in marriage. You know, it's not with your same sex or other sex or anything else attracted. Can you see the difference here? That if you desire it, nobody has a right to say that you cannot have it. Anything. Especially when it comes to sex. And the third aspect is how do you identify it? So it's a label. Behavior and labels are choice, even if you feel the desire. And current research says there's no gay gene. For those of us Anglicans, we know that there was only one gay gene, and that was a bishop in UK. But there is no gay gene in your chromosomes. But, but the reality is that there are some people who have an innate predisposition for the feeling, not a predetermination of behavior. And in certain environmental situations, this could show up as a behavior. Now we need to remember what is it not. It is not intimate, non-sexual friendships. What have we done to our children when a 12-year-old comes up to me after a talk and says, everyone in my class are bisexual. Really? We all love girls and we love boys. I said, good, that's called friendship. You know, we lost it. We have lost it because any close friendship has to be sexual. A girl who comes up to me and says, I really love my bestie. I guess I'm going to grow up to be a lesbian. What is it? What have we done? Or another young girl who came and said, everyone in class talk about sex, but I don't feel interested in sex. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to grow up to be asexual. And I'm thinking, oh boy, your parents would love that. But the reality is, you're 13, you know, just wait a couple of years and see how it goes. She said, okay. But why are we looking? Our children have to find labels. They have to find 
sexual labels to find an identity. But that's a parenting talk, so we'll stop there. It's not about adolescent experimentation. Adolescents are looking for identity in today's world. And part of that is like scrambling. And of course, in our sexualized world, identity lies in being sexual, finding a label. And so kids are encouraged to experiment. And that is not same-sex behavior. So we must be aware of that. When a young girl or boy comes and says, I think I'm a lesbian, I think I'm say, okay, let's just talk about it and let's keep your friendships going, refrain from having sexual activity and bring your girlfriend or boyfriend home, let's get to know them and let's see how it develops. So be careful not to drive them away, but still be careful to be, uh, take them back to the word of God, tell them the story of God's good word which we will talk about in the evening church. So, pulling it all together then, for those of you who are feeling like the baby, the more I think about it, the more confused I get. Let's try and pull together how then as Christians should we respond to this craziness of gender confusion and all the stuff that we've been talking about. Okay, the Bible we've already talked about speaks clearly of binary gender. Creation is good in the image of God finding an identity in him created for intimate friendship. This is foundational. We are all image of God, male and female relationships are good and important. Sin creates a misalignment. We need to understand this. Our desires, we all struggle with disordered desires. This is the reality. There is not one of us who is sinless. Our desires are broken since the fall. And so, therefore, we need to be particularly careful in our children because they are vulnerable. Their brains are malleable, the science of neuroplasticity which I didn't have time to talk about, says that especially young brains are malleable to outside influence. Because their brains are developing so fast. And so, if they are hearing from school and from friends and from social media about fluidity, that's what's going to influence their brain. And that's going to cause the desires to be influenced by it. We need to be teaching our kids from the time they are really young. And biological misalignments happen. So for some people, the feelings of being transgender or the feelings of same-sex attraction could be just innate. But again, it is brain. Do we change our whole biology to fit a feeling? Or do we try to help people deal with the dysphoria, to deal with the distress? So, what are some pointers? We live a redeemed lifestyle, always pointing people to the gospel. You see, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what is our need of the moment? It is not, I would put it to you, that same-sex attracted transgendered people, the need is not to get their gender fixed. Their need is to find the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is our main calling. So instead of being so 
distressed that somebody is same-sex attracted or transgender, it's more like let's point them to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the conviction. Because the moment we land on the, the symptom, it's like you're trying to deal with the tip of the iceberg where there's a whole lot underneath that needs to be dealt with. So we always give people what we have. And that is a compassionate, loving community of Christians who stand firmly on our conviction. And because of our conviction that we are sinners, we have an identity in Christ, we can be compassionate. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you something. The rates of detransitioning, this is people who start the transition and regret it. Sometimes too late because they're already down the biology. They've already started hormones and surgery. The rates of detransitioning is rising. The moment someone decides to detransition, they are completely thrown out by the transgender community. We can be the homes. We have to be the homes. You see, we are, and you are, a home for the broken people. You see, as churches, you see, we need to be the ones. I tell churches that, you know, we, we are the hospital for sinners. We are not five-star resorts for the righteous. And I know you are. You are a hospital for sinners and a loving church like yours. We need to be ready because this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This has to implode because we can't go on like this. So we need a theology of singleness because a lot of these people, same-sex attracted, who don't change by the spirit, we need to be aware of this. And living in a cultural, countercultural lifestyle like we live, we have to accept persecution. Again, just consider what's happening with Israel for now. It could happen to any of us, like many of us have had some form of persecution, but that's nothing compared to what could happen. Love with your life, your works, and of course, point people to the final satisfaction which will come only with the consummation of eternity. Very briefly, that's my email. You can email me if you have any questions or if you'd like a sheet of further references. That's my second name and my year of birth, gmail.com, or you can contact me on my website. Very briefly, we wrote Teen Sex by the Book, which is for teenagers, 15 plus. We've just released the third edition. This is in five years, six years. Things have moved so fast. It's done as a new gender chapter. And growing up is for 10 to 14. And parents and grandparents, we suggest you read it before because it has questions about discussion. Birds and Bees by the book is our latest one. It's for primary schoolers. And we've got a set there opened out for you to look at. The Best Sex for Life is for all of you married or engaged. It goes for engagement to the nursing home where my husband and I are heading. <laughs> and because I have so much spare time, I do creative writing. And Empire's Children is a story set in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka. Snowy summer is set between Sri Lanka and uh, the snowy mountains in Jindabad. So these books, we just brought a few today if you want to purchase cash or are we doing cash? Okay.
hard to churn from cash. Okay, so they are all on mates rates today. So I might stop here. We have then about 20 minutes for questions. Can we just go straight in? We will. Uh, James, let me just ask you a quick question. Is it humanly possible to run and get another microphone? I don't know if there is one. Okay, thank you. So I want to encourage you to uh, just pause for a moment, catch your breath, think about your question, about what is said we should thank. We should be down hard. Any question? Patricia is happy to take any question about anything she's spoken about. We'll see how we go. I feel like I want to say this, that if most of the questions start coming from those, say, I'll just pretend, over 30, it's okay, but I might say, can we just pause there uh, after a few questions, just to see if there's some young ones who want to ask some questions as well. And if most of the questions come from young ones, we'll just let them keep asking questions, because then we'll all learn. So... Uh, if you've got a question, uh, speak up so we can all hear, and Patricia's going to do an awesome job of answering. Al. I'm over 30. Yeah. I'll have it. No, yeah, that's a question. Oh, okay. Alright. Double that. There you go. Yeah. Um, just want to go back to the Bible a minute. Um, where David said, it was said of David that he loved Jonathan. Um, Bible stuff. Your Bible stuff. The Bible stuff. He loved Jonathan more than he loved women. We know he loved women a fair bit. So, what is it? Me, in that context, that, you know, I love Jonathan more than I love women. Uh, the way I've been thinking through that, and many people are pointing it out, is it's a very, it's an affectionate love. It's a gentle love. It's not a sexual love, how I read that. So, I think it's, you, you see a model of uh, how people can relate. Uh, and I think, you know, the slide, like the intimate friendship you have there, it's okay. There's nothing, I think people can point to that and take it another place. I don't. And, and you're quite right, because I'm, and that the very question you ask is like our culture. That deep, intimate love, for some reason, has to be sexual. Whereas, no. I mean, deep, intimate, um, Wesley Hill, I think, writing about being a same-sex attracted man, says that he can remain celibate and single because he has what he calls spiritual friendship. And I have a wonderful single friend who lives out in the country in Maureen. And she prays me through every talk I have. Like right now, she'll be praying for me. I think that's an amazing friendship. So we need to, we need to be encouraging that, especially in our young people today. Question. Lloyd. Oh, no, I don't do that. Um, let's go back last century. We, we were taking children away from our Aboriginal brothers and sisters. We know the damage today that, that was doing. Are we now, with this new generation of thinking, another form of child abuse? It's interesting you should ask that because Michael Laidlow, which was in those pictures of researchers I showed, he was the one on that side, and he's an endocrinologist and senior consultant in UK. And he calls what we are doing with children medical conversion therapy. Because we are taking littles. By nine years old, you can be put on puberty blockers. In a few years after that, you can have post, uh, you can have cross-sex hormones. Cross-sex hormones cause infertility and as do puberty blockers. And they cause a whole host of problems with physiology.
physiology because your body fights it. Your body is not made to be pumped with chemicals from outside and it fights it. He calls it medical conversion therapy. And we are already seeing teenagers who went down that way and then said, we made a mistake. And they're struggling with having taken girls especially who have been given testosterone. And they're struggling with the side effects. So much so that they're given a, a website called Peak Resistance Group of girls who are coming out and openly speaking about it. Yeah, so we're going to have a whole generation. Yeah. So that's two for the oldies and one for the young'uns. Yeah, of course. <laughs> What's pansexual and the difference between pansexual, asexual and the other 15 sexual things that you said? Uh, basically, you can choose anything you want to, so we can't define all of them. Pansexual may basically means I almost want to go to the young ones and say, what is pansexual? Come on, people. Anyone? I'm going to walk over to a young one. What's pansexual? Come on, what's your understanding? Cast iron pen. Sex on a cast iron pen. A cast iron pen. Anyone? What I've been told that pansexually is for someone who chooses to say that they are is that they could be sexually attracted to anybody and it doesn't matter what they are. That's very good. So it's an attraction to anyone. So you could be attracted to a boy today, a girl tonight, and then you could be attracted to transgender. And if you're pushing it, you could be attracted to an animal or a child. So you could be attracted, pan, to anything at any time. And of course it can be fluid. Asexual is the opposite. You're not attracted to anything or anyone. You can fall in love with someone. You can be romantic, but you don't feel sexual. And of course, there's a whole lot of other terms. And you know the lovely thing is, you can just choose whatever you want at any moment. So the ideologists would say there are as many genders in this room as there are people. So choose your gender. You can just mix and match to be anything you want. There, and then come back. How do you suggest we um, support our teenage kids that have friends that think they might be gay or lesbian? How do you support your teenage kids who have friends, they will have friends who are gay, lesbian, transgender? And the important thing is to teach them that the most important thing about it is being friends. Friendship is important. And pointing people, showing, I tell young people, be a friend, be a Christian, be loving, and rather than be pointing out the fact that your behavior isn't in keeping with what I believe, first start by saying, look, how about I tell you what I do believe in, in terms of pointing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, our greatest need is not to change our gender. Our greatest need is the Lord Jesus Christ. So be loving, be a friend, take them to the youth group, let them hear the word of God. Read the Bible with them, show them in your love. So we think we have to tell children to help people to change their gender or change their orientation. That 
So that first need, can a person who's gay or lesbian be forgiven? Of course. We all people who need forgiveness. So that's the, the basic thing. But of course for that, our children need a clear understanding of the biblical good news of what sex is and why one man, one woman marriage. I mean, isn't God a kind of a killjoy to say that? We need a clear understanding for ourselves and we need to be able to teach that to our children, which is why we wrote the book. Do you have a question? So I work for a university and I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are gay and lesbian. And um, from their perspective, like what right do Christians have to say that they can't marry, that they can't be gay and lesbian? And it, I guess it's the same along the same lines as Israel Salau. Like, um, like the world says that we can't say it. And how do you respond to that? Because I get that all the time, especially now that I'm a Christian. Um, that all comes down to free speech. I mean, there could be a time when what we are doing now, what we are doing now could be hate speech. And we could actually have people um, picketing out there to stop us from doing the meeting. See, when I do talks in churches now, what I say is don't take this and don't put it on your open website. Because it could actually lead to you getting into a lot of trouble with the ideologues. And that's the reality. You see, the bottom line is, it's like we cannot ever stop people from being who they are and doing what they can, what they want to. Because this is a desire-driven, post-truth world. All we can stand is to stand on the fact that we worship a God who gave us a place and a pattern and a purpose for this wonderful gift of sex. And we just have to speak to that. We, it's not about judging, but about witnessing to who you are in love. I mean, I'm a sexologist. Most of my friends are weirdos and transgenders and gays and lesbians. Yeah, as long as I was in uni and I keep in touch with some of them. They know I'm a Christian, but they also know that I love them deeply. I mean, something happens, the first person they turn to and say, will you pray for me? So, it is okay for people to know that. I know it's hard because I spent 30 years in university, 8 years as director of a program in sexual health. So I know how it feels. But sometimes God puts us in a place with a purpose, sister. Patricia, over there on the right. Uh, Peter. Oh, young one. Yes. <laughs> you can shout, but never mind. So, uh, I, I'm working in like an organisation like, uh, where I do like mental health intake assessments and I was speaking to a mum and, um, and yeah, the, like her son had been going through a lot of stuff um, in, in this area and then when I chatted to my supervisor about like what, about next steps and things like that, um, they advised connecting with a particular group which like I'm aware of their, like, yeah, yeah, the way that they like go about that. And uh, I suppose I was just wanting to get your advice about how as Christians we can like live in that space of like working with like like non-Christians and just trying to, yeah, that was just a really hard, I hadn't thought about it very well at that time, but yeah. Uh, the point is that if you're in an institution, especially in the health area or education area, where the, they haven't 
the, the way they treat it is if there's some child who needs something and you, you have to affirm, you have to affirm, you have to send them, that, that's what you were saying, that you're, you, have to, you have to refer them to an affirming their choice rather than, because if you dare to talk to them about alternatives, then you're accused of conversion therapy. So living in that space, it's going to be increasingly difficult. And let me tell you, there are psychologists who have been thrown out of their jobs, scientists who have left university. The editor of one of the main journals who has been the editor of the Journal of Sexuality and Disability, when I was an academic, so at least 15 years, because of what she said, because she wouldn't stand by, very complicated, but basically she went against the trans lobby. She's been losing, she's been pushed out of being editor of the journal. This is what's happening. The Tavistock Clinic, which is a UK clinic for gender, children with gender identity, a number of their psychologists just, re just, they left. They just resigned because they said we can't live with what's happening. So people are just leaving. There are teachers, I mean, being a Christian is going to get increasingly hard. And this is, we have to walk a very fine line, but making wise decisions the best we can. Because, because you're good at walking a fine line, could you just grab the rosie there and the hand up there? Giving my arthritis good by walking. <laughs> yes, Rosie. Um, along those similar lines, I was going to full-time primary teacher next year, and I'm sure you know all about what's going on there, and certainly throughout my university degree, um, they've made it very clear what their expectations are. Um, I guess what I would like you to comment on is that, on the one hand, I don't want to act in a way that could jeopardise um, being able to be in schools and be a Christian in schools because I think that it's important that we have Christians in every aspect and I don't want to just um, act in a way that all of a sudden I'm out. But at the same time, I don't want to be affirming things that I don't believe God's designed us, you know, that's helpful for us. So I just would like you to comment on how best to be in that thing. I think it holds for teachers. It also holds for health professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists. All of us have all of these professionals Professions that deal with people are going to be faced with this. Where, how do we deal with this? With the institution, like if you're in a public school, if you're in a Christian school, we are still lucky there because we still can have certain regulations of what we teach. But if you're in a primary school, if you're in a school, which is a public school, teaching gender fluidity, what do we do? I think this is where the, the religious rights that we need to be holding on to this. And that is that, and I'm happy for you to comment on this, we need to be holding to this. Because we too have a right. And that we need that right to say, I cannot teach this. I'm not going to say I want to teach the Bible instead. But I'm not comfortable with teaching this. And I think we need to be able to hold on to that right as to whether we'll get it. I don't know, we still haven't seen the results of the, whatever the review is. Do you like to comment on anything on this? Because, how much longer do we have? I'm going to give you about uh, three more minutes. Uh, James. Our IT specialist. Uh, IT, what, you have the microphone? Ask a question. Oh, you got a question? <laughs> 
Because you stand there, I'll run. Ah, he's feeling bad for my arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you talked about uh, being homes. Uh, you said that if we like, that we need to be the homes to these people. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're not, if our, if us as a church is being a home and our church is not full of gay, lesbian, trans people, does that mean <laughs> we failed at that, or have we pushed them away? I should really let you answer that. Go Well, I don't know your church, but the reality is that I think we need to work harder. One of my friends, I told you I have friends of all types, one of my friends is actually now the head of the sex party, Fiona Patton. And when uh, this is about 15 years ago, she and I were having dinner and one day she said, you know, Patricia, I will never walk into a church because I feel that I, the moment I walk in, I will have like a red, you know, mark on me and everyone's going to be staring. Yeah? I'm going to have mini skirt and fishnet stockings, probably. <laughs> but that's kind of sad, isn't it? That is sad. She said, Patricia, you're the only one I have ever spoken to who speaks to has spoken to me about Christianity in the way you're speaking, in a loving way. And I thought, that is sad. That is sad. And she's now the head of the sex party. And there I haven't talked to her for a long time, but I've often thought, you know, I'd like to sit with Fiona again and have a chat about it. But this is the point. Are we a home? Are we that kind of church that somebody walks in, obviously transitioning, that we will be as loving as anyone else who walks in. That's something we need to ask ourselves. I was just going to say, we're very accepting here. You still let me come back after all these years. I still let me in the building. Andrew, I'll leave it there. I'll write it. <laughs> well, ha, ha, there's a, Tony, don't, I'll take that as a comment. <laughs> um, Patricia, I'm going to just add a bit more to that and give you a break because you've been such a wonderful so because you're speaking again, so you probably need to catch your breath. Uh, one of our goals, we have three goals we've been talking about. I think one of the goals talks, talks about have I helped someone feel known? So to be specific about and answer your question, Jones, I could just say, genuinely, in lots of churches, how do I know what someone is like? I only find that if I'm actually making an attempt to make someone known. As I step back, are we doing our darndest to welcome people? Full stop. I've got no idea who they are. And too often part of the problem is we might stay in our close group with my dear friend Patricia and not take the step to do anything. There's the first problem. Now, I know we're not like that. We can be like that. We are like that because there's lots of people who come and go. And so I'd encourage us all to realise to take a step to get to say hello to someone. How do they know what my struggles are? Like, they don't know my struggles. You don't know half my struggles. And so, but in that journey of the Christian life, of actually getting to relate to each other, there's a rich blessing. And as Patricia said, she spoke about words like love and grace and mercy and kindness and non-judgment. All those things are applicable to lots of people, in fact, to all of us. Because we want them to make us feel known as well, to make us feel like we're part of it. So uh, I'd encourage us to take that step. And I think, I think people are very anxious about coming in in that context. I know that about people who've been divorced, separated, had affairs. I could never come back because 
they know what's happened and they won't accept it. It cuts across a whole, and you would know lots of people in that context. Pornography. Pornography, yeah. I mean, I've got no, don't answer this question. I won't ask. Um, but there are lots of people who even just have had a bad experience in church. And one bad experience, sadly, you can walk with one bad experience for decades, decades, and never come back to it. So, so yes, we need to uh, work harder at welcoming everyone. Um, so I think uh, unless there's one more last burning question, uh, Patricia's going to be here uh, for tonight. Anne had a question. Anne had a question. Okay, it wasn't really a question. It was more like almost responding to raising Peter because I work as a health professional as well with lots of lots of ethical stuff comes up for me in my job, and I think. We need to remember that while this is a big issue for society, God cares about all sorts of things. And, and you talked about separation and abortion, and all sorts of things. And I don't know that we need to focus on, do we really need to tell people whether they're right or wrong with that, or do we just need to love people? And if we are given a space, I agree with you, share them the gospel. Because we, yeah, that, that's how I would respond. I don't know, because Ethan may be just starting out. Like, this is just one of many issues that we care about. Yeah. Wait a minute. I have a comment. You've already asked a question. You're too old now. This is a comment. This is a comment for all the young people I hear that are in the nursing, the health professional, or the education field. As a Christian for 40 odd years working in mental health, I have to tell you it is a hard road. And I'm sorry, I don't have the answer. It's going to get harder. Thank you, Lord. Go on, you put your hand. Yeah, go on. Uh, Folks, I'm going to pray right now. Uh, could you really, really thank Patricia for serving us so well this afternoon? Uh, if, you have, uh, if you have a private question you'd like to come up, uh, please feel free to do that. Patricia will also be available after the 6 pm service if you have a private question. Over here are her resources. There's a pen and some uh, piece of paper here. If you want to buy a book, just write down the book and we'll uh, catch up later about that. Uh, I'm going to pray and remind you. There's so many here. You know, folks, we can reach the church prayer goal right now. If you just all walk down there with Karen and pray, we're part of the close I'm going to pray for this prayer. Uh, follow Karen down there. It might be. Hope you stay for the 6 p.m. service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this afternoon. Lord, we just want to love you. love us. Our Lord has gone to the cross for us. Uh, we want to love more and more people, Father. So help us do that. Help uh, uh, really a mark of this church to be that we are loving and caring and compassionate to all. And Father, if there are things in our lives we need to repent of, may that be so. If there are relationships that we have broken, may we take steps to seek to mend them and pray for others. And Father, across all the things that we experience in this life, may it be that we always honour you as we lead people to faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Love to see you here. Take care. We set this up. Uh, Church at 6 with Patricia.